Well, uh, just uh, so, so glad everybody got to uh, join us here today. Uh, if you would, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I'm going to speak to you a message today simply titled, Risen. I want you to drift with me back in time some 2,000 years ago to the streets of Jerusalem to the most holy week for the people of Israel, that is Passover week, Passover, the celebration of when God delivered Israel out of bondage to Egypt. It is this celebration that Israel was commanded to keep year after year. Israel, all of Israel, has just been in a grand celebration. A triumphant shout has been heard in the narrow streets of Jerusalem. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as they watched Jesus come into the city. They would then enter into Passover and share a meal. But soon the, the shouts of Hosanna would turn to shouts of crucify. The same crowd that celebrated Christ would call for his death. And there would give its life, would be buried. I want you to join me as we come out of a Sabbath day, a day of rest. I imagine that in the city at this time when no work was going on, but because this holy rabbi has, has, has been crucified and, and laid in a tomb, the mourning must have been able to be heard going on in homes. The cries that were going forth, the uncertainty was rocking the city. And this is where we find this passage that we're going to walk into this morning. Luke Chapter 24 says this. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise Again, and they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose. And ran to the tomb, and stooping down, 
he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Today, as we read this passage, we know that we have come to, to celebrate Easter and I, I don't know uh, what has, why everybody has come today. Perhaps uh, somebody has said, hey, I want you to come today. Uh, maybe you're, uh, you're, you were made to come. Your mom says, hey, this is the one thing I want for Easter, not a chocolate bunny. You come with me to church. You know, and, and, and there in, is a, a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds coming for a lot of different reasons. But I want to tell you the one reason that we have truly come together today. And it is this truth. Jesus is alive. He is alive and alive forevermore. This is not a, just us walking through a religious duty. This day is a day of celebration where Jesus conquered death, hell, sin, and the grave and gave new life to all who would believe. Jesus is alive. He's very much alive. And our prayer for you is that you actually didn't come to experience a religious service, but you came to experience a resurrected Christ. But there's something in this, in this moment in history called the resurrection that is revelatory. It actually reveals something. And I saw some things in this passage that perhaps you've never seen before. I had never really seen it before. I want to share it with you this morning. First of all, the resurrection reveals the pursuit of man. The common pursuits of man. Verse 5 says, Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, this was a very profound question to me because these are angels speaking who already know answers in advance because God has informed them. This is a very profound moment because I believe that this is speaking not just about them personally, but it actually reveals the pursuit of fallen humanity. Listen, it is normal for people to look for living things in dead places. It's normal to look for living things in dead places. Let me put it to you this way. Our daily pursuits are usually wrapped up in the things that we think will bring us life. But many of those pursuits are misplaced and leave us dissatisfied or disillusioned. Anybody ever uh, buy something that you thought was going to be a really good deal, but it actually turned out that it wasn't a good deal at all? Yeah, this happened to me when my eldest uh, needed her first car. First of all, uh, uh, we have, have this little Honda Civic that is a stick shift. And just to protect the general safety and welfare of those on the road in Citrus County, we decided that this was not going to work out. 
while she is beautiful and talented and skilled in many ways, using the left foot and the right foot and the right hand and the left hand, that wasn't working out so well. My chiropractor was getting much richer from all of the jerking. And I, I, uh, I was like, okay, okay. This is not going to work for your vehicle. And we were on vacation up in Tennessee. And then all of a sudden I'm driving down the road and I hear this great shriek come from the back seat. Dad, there it is. I'm like, what? That yellow Jeep Wrangler. I'm like, oh, yeah, it looks kind of nice. And we pull over and we start to check it out. It looks all right, not bad for the year that it was and everything. And, and we call the owner and the price is, it's decent. It's not too bad, not, not so out of reach. It actually seems like it's a pretty good deal. And so we arranged the deal while on vacation and bought this and we trailered it home. And then uh, we brought it home uh, before I knew that Jeep stood for just empty every pocket. I spent more time rescuing her, going to get her from the place where that car just wasn't running. And I, I just, I, I think sometimes our pursuits in life are just like that. We want a really, really good deal. But lots of times things don't turn out the way that we think they should. Which is why we need to look a little closer at these women in this story. Who are these women in this story? Well, in the chapter before, in Luke chapter 23, we find out, and the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed after. And they observed the tomb and how his body was laid so who are these women? They're people who walked with Jesus all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. They watched him as he hung on the cross. They stayed when others deserted him. And when the body was laid in the tomb and the stone put in place, verse 56 says, then they returned home. And prepared spices and fragrant oils. And they rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. They had to wait. But in the wait, they were making spices and fragrant oils. It occurred to me that these women were making spices and fragrant oils. For a dead body. For a dead Jesus. That after all of this time, these women who had been walking with Jesus, who heard him mention three, if not four times, that he is going to be crucified, be buried, and on the third day, they're making spices. Why? It's because their journey on the first day of the week 
It was a journey of devotion. It just wasn't a journey of belief. It was a journey of devotion, but not, not a journey of belief. Here, here in this story is Mary Magdalene. She has had seven demons that Jesus has cast out. She's in there. There is also Mary, the mother of James and John, the sons of thunder. She goes to Jesus and she says, hey, my boys are pretty cool. When you enter into your kingdom... Why don't you allow one to sit on your right hand and the other your left? He says, you have no idea what you're asking for. Are they able to drink this cup that I'm drinking? And the answer was, yes, that cup was the cup of suffering. They too would give their lives for the gospel eventually. But this was the woman who knew that he was Messiah, that he was going to come into a kingdom. And yet she finds herself making oils and fragrant sprites spices for a dead Jesus they were devoted but in this moment they didn't have belief it was a journey of unbelief you see on the first day of the week very early in the morning they and certain other women with it came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared what were they doing they were bringing this devotion to this dead Jesus what were they doing here's what they were doing they said well we're just gonna make things nice we're just gonna make things a little more palatable you see sometimes in Israel mourning would last up to 10 days and they knew that once word got out of where the body of Christ was, that many would come to the garden tomb and there they would weep and they would mourn. But they thought, we will anoint the body so as, as the stench of death continues to rise, what they actually will smell are the oils and the fragrance. It will simply make this moment of death a little better. And I believe that this is why the angel said, why do you search for the living among the dead? Of course, it was amongst the tombs, but it was really a revelation of the common pursuit of man. It's what we really do is we're not really looking for a resurrected rescuer. We're just wanting to come and put a little spice on our life. We bring our kids to church and we look at the children's department and say, Pray for them, please. Fix them. Help me. I want good kids. By the way, that's a good pursuit. I want good kids. Pray for my kids. As we pray for yours. But sometimes in our devotion, it's not actually in belief. We're like, well, I just I want to kind of come to church to be a better person, you know, make some better decisions. And here's what that is. Here's what that looks like. It looks like you're bringing spices to a dead place. And I want to share that with you because this devoted pursuit actually led them to an encounter. These people were following Jesus for perhaps years and heard his teachings about what was going to happen, but it had no influence on the moment. They were simply trying to make the moment more palatable instead of believing for a transformative encounter with something much bigger than what they had witnessed.
See, many of us, we're only simply taking clues from life, the ups, the downs, the, the highs and the lows about whether or not God will or won't do something. But what we need to do is throw the spices down and believe what God has said. No matter what we're looking at, we need to believe that Jesus Christ is raised, that he is alive, and that he wants to reach into our lives and radically transform us. He's not here to just make your life smell a little better. He wants to utterly transform it. So I believe it's these angels that are revealing that sometimes our religious pursuits are just trying to make things a little more tolerable or respectful. But instead, our pursuits should be looking for a miracle or believing for a resurrected rescuer. The resurrection also reveals not only the common pursuits of man, but the plan of God. And this is amazing. When we see this, we begin to see the heart of God and the love of God. The resurrection reveals the plan of God. Notice what the angels say. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. I want you to see that this moment of suffering and burial and resurrection. It was always God's plan. If you read the Bible, you, you will see that there is one theme from beginning to end. It's found in this word, redemption. That God intended all along to buy back mankind and this was his plan. First, that he would be delivered into the hands of sinful man. I want you to think about this for just one moment. The creator would now be subject to the creation. The one who created humanity would become subject to them, and not just to them, but their sinful nature, their wrong thinking, their hatred, and their guile, the worst of the worst. He becomes subject to them. What does that reveal? His humility. It's his plan. When speaking to Pilate, it says in verse 8 and 9 in the scriptures, it says that therefore when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and he went into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who has delivered me to you has greater sin. He, this is what he said. The only reason I am in your hands is because it, this has been God's plan all along. That I would be delivered into your hands. That's why you have this power. And what we need to see in this is that God's plan of redemption started on a very humble road. And many of us have a wrong idea about God. We think that he is just offering commands from on high, calling us subjects, when actually 
He is the one who came low. Not so he could call us subjects, but so he could make us sons. He's brought low. Next, it was also the plan of God that he be crucified. And I want you to see this from the eyes of John, the beloved. In verse 17 of, uh, of chapter 19, it says, And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of the skull which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. We know that this is a historical event. I've actually stood recently at that place called Golgotha. It still looks like a skull. And that place before Golgotha where the cross would have stood today is a parking lot. It's crazy to think that the whole world was redeemed in a place that is now a parking lot. But it actually shows the humility of God again that he would be crucified not so he could be venerated but so that he could redeem, so that he could forgive. But why crucified? Why did he need to die? Why did he need to suffer? We need to know. Hebrews 9 gives us insight. It says, according to the law, Almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The word remission means forgiveness. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. This has been the plan all along. Matter of fact, one of the titles given to Jesus is the Lamb which was slain before the foundation of the world he died to purify us and to offer forgiveness and in verse 28 of chapter 9 in Hebrews it says so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many he was offered once to bear the sins of many you know uh, oftentimes um, uh, when I was uh, in youth ministry over the years young people would have this trouble uh, with this idea of us actually inheriting sin from Adam and Eve. They're like, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a conversation with those guys. Boy, did they mess up. We're going to have words. By the way, I'm blaming your children for the thoughts that you've had. It's like, why? Why would they mess things up when it was perfect? I would actually like to suggest to you that God imputing sin to all of humanity through one man actually is his goodness. It's actually his goodness. You're like, how could that be? It doesn't seem fair. See, that's kind of what Satan thought. He's like, oh, I got him now. If he's putting the sin on everybody because it came through Adam, oh, man, I got him now. They're all going down. But see, God's plan 
was if all men would receive the penalty of sin through one man, then all men could be redeemed by the perfect sacrifice of Christ. If one man could bring sin into the whole world, then one man who would live without sin and would give his life as God's perfect sacrifice could redeem all mankind. That is why he had to die. Because sin came through Adam and Jesus came and broke that curse when he died on the cross. So the plan was is that he would be released, that the hands of sinful man be crucified, and then lastly, to be raised from the dead on the third day. What does that mean for us? What does it mean that he he actually offers forgiveness that he's raised from the dead. What does it mean for us? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 actually tells this story very well. Verse 21 says this. It says, for he, this is speaking of God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, uh, there are terms in here that we don't use in our everyday language like righteousness. We don't really use that, that word. You hear it some in church. Uh, maybe you've heard it described as right standing with God. That's a good definition. But let me give you a definition that I think most of you could understand. If any of you bought a house in 2005 or 2006, uh, there was a market surge that happened. A lot of people were buying real estate at that time. But then came 2008. And all of the value that you had in the house suddenly disappeared. And what you lost was something called equity. You lost it all. Now, if you hung on to it, maybe things have come back a little bit. And now you could actually sell the house for more than you owe on it. You actually have positive equity in the house. This is what he died to give us. Equity with God. Can you imagine if, the, if, if you were going to sell your house and you sold it for less than you owed, the bank would come and say, pay up. But if you sold the house for more than you owed, what did you get? You got the inheritance from that equity. So when Christ comes and redeems us and we are in right standing with God, what do we get? All of the inheritance that he purchased for us in the cross. This is what it means for Christ to die and for him to become a sin offering for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him, that we might be in right standing, that we might have equity with God. That's good news. Well, then the reason we celebrate comes into full view. Because on the third day, he would rise again. And one of the clearest tellings of the gospel is by the Apostle Paul 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he pens these words, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter. Then by the 12, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. That means they're, they're dead. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. What is this? This is confirmation that the resurrection actually took place. He was seen by hundreds of people. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Now, there have been religious figures throughout history who have died and their bones remain in place. Well, why did Jesus have to rise? Why did he have to rise? And it's very simple. It is victory over death. Oh, I love this. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man, capital M, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. He is saying this, that through Christ not only do you get equity with God, you get eternal life. He came up out of the grave to give you victory over death. You, This is such great news. It's not just physical death, it's spiritual death. That eternal separation from God. You've been separated long enough when all along... It's been in the plan of God to bring you close. He rose to give us victory over death. And I believe today we need to hear the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 11 as he was making his way to the tomb of Lazarus. And he was speaking with one of Lazarus' sisters. And he utters these words. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believe in, believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I believe that these are the words that the Holy Spirit want to ring in your ear today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that through faith in him you can receive not only blessings in this life but eternal life in him? That if you should die, you too will experience a resurrection being made in his likeness. It's victory over death. And he did give us victory over death. But he also gave us victory over sin. He rose to give us victory over sin. Matter of fact, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but why in the world did he have to spend some time in the grave? It's because on the cross, he bore the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future, all who would place faith in him. What did he go and be buried for? Why didn't he just like get in the grave and come right back up? Here's why. He was unloading sin in its rightful place. And when he came up out of the grave, he was no longer subject to sin. 
And this is what Romans 6 says. And you shall, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Why? Because you have died. And now you've been made alive in Christ. What is the scripture telling us? That the resurrection gives us victory over sin. I want to tell you that many of us live in this arena of, of sin and compromise. And here's what we're doing. We're just bringing spices to that area. We're just bringing spices to that compromise. We're not looking for a resurrected God who will absolutely give us victory over sin. We just want it to smell better for a little while. Hope the neighbors don't see it. That's the truth. How about this one? He gave us victory over guilt. Some of you in this room, you're like, well, I'm, I'm feeling kind of guilty right now. Maybe there's some things I'm dealing with. I'm feeling kind of guilty. I always tell people this. I look them right, look them right in the eye. I'm like, guilt is not a feeling. It's a verdict. You either are or you're not. And if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you have made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, then before the holy judge, that is the Father, when he looks down on you and sees the blood of his dear son applied, here's his declaration over you. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. You can leave this place and say, listen, the resurrection gave me victory over guilt. My sentence has been changed by the one who paid the price for it. He also gave us victory over shame. You see on the cross, he wasn't crucified with clothes on. Totally exposed. He there takes the shame. Many of us. We, we, we will accept the fact that we are forgiven, but somehow we carry the shame of who we used to be as if it's some kind of badge of honor. When God says, no, 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 the resurrection is all about you don't have to carry the shame anymore. Why? Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. I am not the man I used to be. You are not the woman you used to be. And I, you may feel uh, find some comfort in saying, well, I'm just a sinner. Well, we all do sin, but let me give you another title God gives you. He not only, uh, not only are we identified by what we do, we are identified by what he has done. He calls you son. He calls you saint. He calls you redeemed. He calls you a joint heir. He says you've been blessed with all spirit spiritual blessings in heavenly places because of what he's done. Listen, this is not about our performance. It's about what he did on the cross in his burial and resurrection. We don't achieve anything in this life apart from what he has done for us by his grace. One final idea of the places he's given us victory through is, is this, he actually gave us victory over Satan. You and I have an adversary. He's not God's enemy. God has no equal. Satan is not God's enemy. He's our enemy. 
And the resurrection gives us victory over Satan. This being that has been around for countless millennia. He doesn't look like the pictures from your comics or whatever has been created in your mind. Red face, pitchfork. That's not him. The scripture says he actually appears as an angel of light. But God gives us victory over Satan. You say, how do you know this? Here's how. The beginning of the book. You see, when, when Adam and Eve... First fell, God comes down and he's having a conversation with Eve. Eve, why did you do this? And this is what she says. She says, that snake made me do it. It deceived me. The serpent deceived me. And, and this, was, uh, this, this is amazing because now we get to have a, a, a view of God having a conversation with Satan. If you're a theologian in here, or maybe you studied a little bit, this is actually Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In theology, this is called the great proto-evangelium. This is actually the first announcement of the gospel. It's in Genesis chapter 3. And this is what the Father says about what is going to take place in Satan's existence. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What this simply means is this, that Satan's best effort was striking the heel of Christ. That the cross was the striking of the heel him being marred more than any human was the striking of the heel. But when he got up on the third day, the Father in heaven said, this is your head being crushed. This is your authority being stomped out by a risen rescuer, the only Messiah known as Jesus. He crushes the head of Satan. I'm telling you, that you ought to rejoice in the authority that the resurrection gives. Well, this would all be just a grand story of victory if there was not some personal application of the story. And there is a personal application, and you can actually enter into this victory. It is not pie in the sky, but it is the offering of a holy God to every person who would believe. And I want us to read a familiar passage. If you've been in church much, it could, could be that you've heard this before. But I want you to hear it in light of the revelation of the resurrection. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth... Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved as the scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame 
I want to ask you a question. Many of you are on a spiritual journey today. Are you simply bringing spices today? An ointment? To a God that you have no expectation of him actually changing you? Of him actually being alive? You've heard the stories. You've heard other people's testimony. You've heard other people saying to you, hey, by the way, he's real. He loves you. And, and you find yourself in your spiritual journey and you're just simply, uh, I'll go to church, but it's just spices. It's just, it's just ointment. I'm, I'm just, I just, I want to make my life a little more palatable. I, I Here's what I believe is the drawing of the Holy Spirit to you today. Expect a risen Savior. Expect a God who loves you. Who has conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. Who loves you and is extending arms of mercy to you today. Who is saying, believe. I've done it all. Only believe. It bears repeating. Jesus said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, though he die, he will live. Do you believe this?